1: Michael Voris recently attended the annual conference of the Napa Institute in the California Napa Valley. The Napa Institute conference is mostly attended by well-heeled Catholics. The cocktail party Catholics attending the conference are typically people who rub elbows with their bishops and are generally considered to be Catholics who support those bishops, even if they are themselves orthodox and politically conservative Catholic laity. This week, we're going to take a look at why Michael went to the conference, what happened there, and some exciting things that are happening. As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the Episodes page, blog page, or About the Show page, on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad it doesn't stop there either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember. Visit the episodes, blog, and about-the-show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you the links that will pay this apostle at a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support. First of all, I want to make it clear that Michael Voris asked me to spread the news that's in this episode for you six-pack warriors. Michael came back from the Napa Institute conference pumped up. We briefly discussed it in email, and I'm all on board with the things that are in the works. As you probably realize, the two biggest pariahs among the bishops of the USCCB are Michael Voris' church militant and the cantankerous Catholic. They hate us. Many of them quite literally hate us. At least two bishops have expressed that to me personally, without actually using the word hate. Fine with me, I don't mind being hated. Michael feels the same way. Michael attended the Napa Institute conference this year in order to cover it for its Catholic newsworthiness and to get a feel for how the Catholic cocktail party class are thinking about the state of the church in America. While he expected to be snubbed by attendees because of his controversial pursuit of the Marxist criminal Lavender Mafia bishops, he was shocked to get an abundance of kudos for the work of church militant. Michael reported that things are changing among the Catholic cocktail party class, and they're changing rapidly. It seems the well-heeled Catholic laity at the Napa Institute Conference have had enough with bishops who won't stand up for and defend Catholic teachings and actually teach the faith. They're beginning to realize that their bishops, indeed most of those in the USCCB, don't have any Catholic faith at all. These laymen are acknowledging that not only do the bishops lack Catholic faith, but they're actually Marxist members of the Lavender Mafia. They're beginning to recognize that these evil men are out to destroy the church from within. At the conference, Michael made a lot of good connections and discovered from attendees who reside in the dioceses of Orthodox bishops that those bishops follow church militant as fans, like many of you do. On July 28, Michael did a vortex talking about this. I want to play that particular vortex for you now, then I'll come back with final commentary and a Catholic call to action.
2: Let's listen. I'm Michael Voris. It's time for Concerned Catholics in America to accept the reality that the Church in the United States is made in the image of Theodore McCarrick, not Jesus Christ. The rampant homosexuality within the clergy, the lies, the cover-up, the sacrilege, the financial malfeasance, the destruction of the faith, all of it has more than McCarrick's fingerprints on it. It has his seal on it. He certainly was not alone, nor was he the first, but he has proven to be the one who has been the most impactful. While there are many, the two major centers of the destruction we're right here in Detroit, under Cardinal John Dearden from 1958 to 1980, which produced the homosexual Cardinal Joseph Bernadine, and then New York, under Cardinal Francis Spellman from 1939 to 1967, which gave the church McCarrick. Together, Bernadine and McCarrick perverted the church on every conceivable level, but McCarrick's influence has been the most pervasive and long-lasting. And when you consider the enormous damage inflicted on the church by Bernadine with his vast number of Episcopal appointments of homosexual men and his conniving to push reception of Holy Communion in the hand, well, that's really saying something. McCarrick had a head start on Bernadine and was decidedly more cunning and was communist trained in Switzerland in St. Gallen in the years immediately following World War II, a location he returned too frequently on a near-annual basis for years. Although Bernadine was ordained six years before McCarrick, he was in many ways a backwater bishop until Dearden plucked him out of Atlanta as an auxiliary bishop in the late 1960s to head up what would become the feckless National Conference of Catholic Bishops. By that time, McCarrick was already on the fast track having sprung from the loins of the extraordinary, powerful Spellman. Two years before anyone had ever heard of Bernadine, McCarrick had already ghostwritten the infamous Land Lakes document promoted by Notre Dame's Theodore Hesburgh, a document which sent the American Catholic University system into apostasy, such was McCarrick's already burgeoning influence. The major difference between these two men is while both were sexually active homosexuals, McCarrick was communist-trained as church militant broke three years ago. Bernadine's actions greatly contributed to the destruction of the church in the U.S., but McCarrick's actions were intended to, and given the current state of affairs, the only fair and reasonable assessment has to be he succeeded. Take, for example, the issue of Holy Communion. Both men played central roles in destroying faith in the Blessed Sacrament among the laity. Bernadine rammed through a fraudulent vote in the 1970s with the bishops, which he used to lie to Pope Paul VI about to get Rome to approve Holy Communion in the hand. Church Militant broke that news a number of years ago by uncovering all of it in the bowels of the USCCB archives stored at, where else, Notre Dame. But McCarrick, as usual, is already 10 steps ahead, further down the road, lying to the bishops' conference in conjunction with Wilton Gregory, a Bernadine offspring, reporting to his brother bishops in 2004 that Joseph Ratzinger had said it was okay to give Holy Communion to child-killing Catholic politicians. Ratzinger, who was then head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, had said no such thing. In fact, he had said just the opposite. But McCarrick, along with Gregory, simply lied to the rest of the bishops. And here we are today with the bishops still fighting this issue. McCarrick's evil much more is much more pervasive than Bernadine's, which again is impressive given Bernadine's homosexual romp through the church with his bishop appointments. It was, for example, McCarrick who took charge of the bishop's response to the homo-predator clerical crisis, the first one, of which many of there are, in 2002 to 2004, following the Boston Globe's spotlight revelations. His response was pure deflection and deception. Not a thing changed or was implemented which would lessen the actual cause of the crisis, which was homosexuality within the clergy. But it made for great PR as McCarrick made the rounds of national media, expressing his shock and his dismay that such untoward evil could penetrate the heart of the church, and this as he was sexually assaulting seminarians at his beach house on the Jersey Shore, bought and paid for by the church. McCarrick was instrumental in not only advancing sexual deviancy, but where he far outshined Bernadine was in his skill in fundraising, then using the money to subvert the church. He conned millionaire after Catholic millionaire with his Irish charm, all the way up to and including the Papal Foundation, and used millions in bribes to get his people in place and his own actions covered up. When Pope Benedict iced him, he just carried on, helping get Pope Francis elected, who then almost instantly dispatched him to Communist China to sell out the church there. He was instrumental in getting Blaise Supich and Joseph Tobin installed in Chicago, where Bernadine had built his gay network, which now extends far beyond Chicago, and Newark, where McCarrick used his influence to do the same back in the East. While Bernadine was extremely destructive, he was only on the public scene for about 25 years. McCarrick was on the scene for more than 50 years and possessed a much greater personal skill set much more cunning, and much more time to implement his plans, which, of course, he did. Which brings us to the point of this vortex. The current hierarchy, the bishops in the United States, especially the so-called good bishops, now must come to terms, now, with the reality that the church in America, as it is now constituted, was fashioned by two very powerful homosexual men, both perverts, with one in particular hell-bent on the church's destruction. That's what they have given us. Through these men's power and influence and ability to blackmail, sideline, and appoint virtually at will other men, after their own design, the architecture was put in place to ensure there is no coming back from this unless in the very near future what few remaining bishops with a conscience step forward and take control of the narrative. These men need to understand they were selected for seminary, entered into a system that was designed to produce weak Men, weak leaders, whatever you may think of yourselves when you look in the mirror, your excellencies, know that you are in your office largely because you either slipped through the cracks or were viewed as not a real threat. Even if you are personally orthodox in your own religious belief, you have been brought up in a system on purpose to discourage you from exercising any real pushback against evil. You've had your minds conditioned for decades by a system designed by two homosexual predators, one of them a communist, to not fight back, to strip you of your masculinity, to always think in terms of compromise and going along and avoiding confrontation at all costs, of never rocking the boat, to think in terms of dialogue and tolerance and never acting decisively Stepping out where you need to in defense of the people of God. Never doing that. More than the perversion of the faith itself in so many seminaries is the perversion of your masculinity. That is the real secret of McCarrot's success and control over the church in America. This is how such deviants have seized control across the entire spectrum. Because you know, you who know of their evil, have been neutralized with Supich's presence being the latest example of what strikes terror in all your hearts. Every one of you good bishops and archbishops watching this, you know what I'm saying is true. You may not like it. You probably don't like me. You cringe when someone says church militant, but you know what we say here is true. Just look around the condition of the church right now. It's mass apostasy because of the apostasy of the clergy. Why has Church Militant been able to encourage more than 1,300 people to travel to Baltimore in November and sit out in the cold for hours to pray for you? Quick aside, those roughly 1,300 reservations in about, about a week's time represent almost half the total capacity of the pavilion right next door to where all of you are meeting, and there are still four months to go. For those of you interested on reserving a seat, click on the provided link to save your spot for what is shaping up to be a total watershed moment in the life of the church in America. So here's what Church Millens would like to propose to you, good bishops. First, we know you feel alone and isolated, never backed up, at least publicly, by your brother bishops, under constant threat from Supich and his influence. We also know you are deeply concerned, rightfully so, that if you do anything public, That Cupich perceives as threatening enough, you fear he will end you and bring your good work in your diocese to an end. That said, the current state of affairs simply cannot be allowed to continue, especially for some future promise down the road. We are quickly approaching the end of the institutional church in America. So given that, we are aware that you all watch Church Militant, you pass around relevant Vortex episodes, and you have private, quiet discussions amongst yourselves about what we talk about here in Vortex, as well as our articles and our other shows and so forth. We know it. just We can skip over it. Got it. We know this because you communicate this to laymen who trust you, who are every bit as concerned about this abomination we find ourselves in as a church. What we'd like for you to do, and we know who you are, and we know that you know that we know who you are, is to reach out to those laymen who are mutual friends of you guys and us, and through them, reach out to us and allow us to help strategize with you in standing up and pushing back against this evil. We're not interested in any way, manner, form, or anything of making this a story, revealing any details, writing about it, doing Vortex episodes about it, or anything of the kind. It is a strictly private endeavor between Catholic laity, and their shepherds, to finally push back against this evil rot which has taken control. In all forthrightness, some or all of you may in fact lose your diocese in the end. That's true. There's no getting around that. But there needs to be a coordinated effort, a grand plan, and some of you bishops know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about the plan. We have loads of information, and you do too. We have a network we established in the spring of hundreds of priests around the nation. We call the New Catacombs. Many of these priests know an awful lot about an awful lot. Our church militant resistance has literally thousands of members across the country. Many in chanceries who are likewise know an awful lot about an awful lot. All of them stand willing to do whatever is necessary to come to the aid of Holy Mother Church and back you up. Church Milton has been marshalling these forces, laity, faithful clergy, information, reams of information for years now. And we want to meet with you to let you know what we know. I know many of you don't like us or you're suspicious of us or leery and so forth and all that. You don't like our tone and so forth. We are out there. Yep, that's absolutely true. But it's out of a deep love for our blessed Lord and his bride. No other reason and the question of tone and being out there. That's really a subjective one. No one else is saying what needs to be said, including you, with all due respect, most especially you. We want to help you, encourage you, do whatever is needed. As we said, we are mindful that you may very well get mowed down if you go on the offensive, to which we'd like to conclude with two thoughts then. First, have the young men who first stormed ashore at Normandy or parachuted behind the lines not been willing to die, and many of them did, Europe would not have been freed from the Nazis. Death is not the greatest evil. Not dying with honor in the service of the church is the greatest evil, and you go to hell for it. Secondly, a joint effort to seize back the church in a great act of charity for the faithful in the face of near-certain retribution would be an act that even if you are mauled in the process, you, bishops, The Holy Spirit would use that, absolutely, because it is an act perfectly in accord with the divine will, turning back the lies, the liturgical abuses, the wanton sacrilege, the destruction of the faith, the financial rot, all of it, standing up to it, out of love. How could that be anything other than pleasing to the Blessed Trinity? Ask yourselves in consideration of what we are proposing Is this something that Satan would oppose? So please, you know who our mutual friends are. Contact them. Have them be the go-betweens if you're afraid or nervous about church militant. I assure you, you have nothing to be afraid of concerning us. Our entire 15 years has been out there for all the world to see that every action we do is born strictly from a love of our blessed Lord, His Holy Mother, and the one true faith nothing else, to be used to help save souls. The forces of evil in the church are well organized. We need to be more so.
1: Michael issued a call to action here. Actually, he gave us several calls to action. Let's talk about the two most important ones. First, some of the laymen Michael talked to listened to this show as well. If you're one of those listeners and you're sitting on the fence about contacting your Orthodox bishop and asking him to let you put him in touch with Michael, let me urge you to go ahead and take the plunge. Look, I understand your fear and hesitancy about doing this. As the apprehension creeps in, you might even dig in your heels and refuse to do as Michael asks. But remember what God allowed to happen to Jonah when he refused to do the right thing. In your case, that would probably amount to losing everything that's important to you. Then you'll find it easy to do the right thing, because doing the right thing is easy when you have nothing left to lose. Trust me, I know that firsthand, but I hope it doesn't come to that. Believe it or not, there are bishops who listen to this show, both Orthodox and bad Lavender Mafia bishops. The Lavender Mafia types listen to this show to find out what's going on, like a war general tries to discover his enemy's battle plan. That's fine. Some Orthodox bishops listen to this show as well, and I've got a message for them. I actually know and like some of these men. To put that into perspective, though, I actually like the satanic high priest who was trying to murder me over 25 years ago. You Orthodox bishops are cowards, and don't deserve your miters. You try to leave the impression that you're brave by criticizing the Speaker of the House and Pretender Biden. Some of you publicly stand up for persecuted priests like Father Altman. All that's just a ruse to convince yourself and the laity that you're not cowards. I know this from experience, too. But believe me, at some point between now and when you hear the verdict of your final judgment, you'll discover that you've merely been lying to yourself when you think yourself brave. You're not brave. Let me give you an example of Episcopal cowardice. I was in an audience with an Orthodox bishop about a decade ago, a man I like and respect a great deal. There was a priest, deacon, and layman in attendance. I don't recall what caused this to be said, but the bishop said to me, I have to be concerned with what the news media say. I responded, Your Excellency, I don't think St. Peter would care about the news media. There was an awkward silence as the other men in the room looked at their shoes, and the audience ended in about three minutes. That, six-pack warriors, is Episcopal cowardice on full display. If you Orthodox bishops hate the way things are going in the Church, it's time to stand up and be a man, a Catholic man. If you want to see change... It's time to stop being a weak and spineless man who betrays Christ with your silence and inaction and stand up to be a Catholic man. If you ever hope to escape hell, it's time to repent from your sins of omission and stand up to be counted as a genuine bishop and Catholic man. Reach out to Vorce and begin strategizing with him. Ask your Orthodox brother bishops to do the same. Will it cost you? Probably. Jesus promised that it wouldn't be easy to live for him, but nothing easy is worth having anyway. Be a man for once in your lives. Be willing to sacrifice everything for what's right, or have the decency to admit you're a coward who's unworthy of your mitre. It's pitiful that the six pack warriors listening are many more times as brave than you are, and all they have are the graces of their confirmation. You've got those same sacramental graces, plus the graces of holy orders, yet you reject them and sit shivering in a corner, afraid that you might be ostracized or lose your diocese. So what if those things happen? As it is now, your cowardice causes the laity to find you disgusting and pathetic, and all of your brother bishops have zero respect for you. They know you can be pushed around. That's why they don't respect you. Now, as for the rest of you listening, the actual six-pack warriors. This is the one time I'm not going to ask you to write letters, make phone calls, or protest outside of the chancery office. Instead, I'm going to ask you to do the single most important and powerful thing you can do. I'm going to ask you to drop to your knees and pray for our few Orthodox bishops preferably before the tabernacle. Pray for these men to find courage. Ask God to show them that they're wrongly using prudence as a justification for cowardice. Ask God to make them like the martyred bishop St. John Fisher. Beg our good God to allow us to begin a justified reformation right here, right now. As you know, I've been asking you to help Emmy and Patrick Beeky in Nigeria, a good Catholic family. They're not only contending with the daily possibility of martyrdom, but now they can't even afford food because Patrick lost his job just because he's a Catholic. Your donations have been generous. Emmy wanted to thank you, and I tried to record her online, but her internet connection was so weak that we couldn't do it. So Emmy sent me the text of her thanks. Let me read it to you. The family of Emmy and Patrick Becky from Nigeria wishes to use this medium to express our profound gratitude to the family of Joe Sixpack and all the listeners for your donations, care, love, and support toward our family. We pray that the good Lord will continue to bless you all abundantly with good health of mind and body through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. We love you all. This is the last week I'm appealing to you, appealing to your conscience, to help the Beckys. You'll find a link to contribute in my show notes for this episode. Please be generous.
0: Joe Six Pack. The Every Catholic Guy wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's Top 5 Catholic News Picks for this episode. Catholic News Pick Number 5.
1: Hats off to the Catholic vote. The U.S. bishops denounced the House's passage of a large spending bill without customary pro-life protections like the Hyde Amendment, which prevents taxpayer funding of most abortions. The House has voted in a way that is completely out of step with the will of the American people who overwhelmingly oppose taxpayer-funded abortion, said Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York and Archbishop Joseph Nauman of Kansas City in a joint statement.
2: No, 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 no,
1: no, 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 no! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick Pick Number number 4
1: Hats off to Town Hall. Deanna Fortin, an attorney from Louisiana, says the Hyde Amendment saved her life. Her mother struggled with both poverty and mental health problems. Instead of offering to kill her unborn child free of charge, our government sent my mother a message of hope by paying for my prenatal care, birth, and cares an infant. she said. Wow! That's just incredible! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic Catholic News Pick Number 3
1: Hats Off to the Blaze Within 24 hours of imposing a mask mandate, Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C. was caught not wearing a mask at an indoor wedding featuring hundreds of people, many of whom also did not wear masks. Importantly, Bowser's mandate stated that fully vaccinated people must also comply with the masking order. Would you get a load of that? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick Number number 2
1: Hats off to The Daily Signal Republican members of the Senate Judiciary Committee signed a letter calling for a new hearing for David Chipman, pretender Biden's nominee for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. The GOP Senators cite testimony from a black former agent who said Chipman told him that black agents must have been cheating on a promotional assessment because an unusually large number had passed the exam.
2: Despicable!
1: You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News
0: Pick Pick Number Number 1
1: Hats off to the Washington Examiner. The Augusta County School Board defied the Virginia Department of Education's recommended transgender policies. "'I believe parents want to have your backs if you stand up and vote no to the liberal agenda,' said Beth Jenkins. "'They do not trust the government. They want to send their children to public school, but they will not be told how to raise their children,' she said. "'Let the fight begin!' You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair.
0: It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack.
1: One of my favorite books of the Bible is found in the Old Testament. Most versions call it Tobit, while others call it Tobias. I keep waiting for someone like Mel Gibson to come along and make a movie out of it, because this book has everything that makes a great movie. Angels, demons, miracles, murder, betrayal, deception, and on and on. This book is where we learn about guardian angels. It's a short book that takes most people about 45 minutes to read. Here's the gist of the story. Tobit, who, with his son Tobias, was a man of great charity among the people of Israel, but he had become blind and couldn't earn his living anymore. So he sent Tobias to collect on an old debt from a friend. Not knowing the road to where Tobias's friend lived, Tobit looked for a guide to go with him. A young man named Azarias met Tobias and offered to go with him to show him the way to the town where his father's friend lived. Many dangerous and exciting events took place on the journey, which is the best part of the story you'll have to read for yourself, and it seemed Azarias protected Tobias from harm every step along the way. When Tobias returned home to his parents, he also brought with him a wife, along with many camels, horses, and sheep. When his mother saw him coming from afar, she sent word to her blind husband that Tobias was home. Tobias was happy to see his parents and gave Tobit the money he was sent to retrieve while he told the story of his adventures. That's when he explained how Azarias had helped him and had told Tobias his father's blindness could be cured. Azarias told Tobias to take the gall from a fish and put it on Tobit's eyes. Immediately, the older man's sight was restored. Tobias was so grateful to Azarias for all his help on the trip and the cure for his father's blindness, he tried to give the young man half of all he had. That's when Azarias told Tobit and Tobias who he really was. "'There's something I've got to tell you,' said Azarias. "'I'm not what you suppose me to be. I'm not a man who desires to be paid for his services.' I am Raphael, one of the seven holy angels who present the prayers of the saints and enter into the presence of the glory of the Holy One. Because you have always worshipped God, because you buried the dead, were kind to the poor, bore your troubles bravely, God has sent me to you. Bless the Lord of heaven who has shown you his mercy. As it turns out, Raphael was acting as Tobias' guardian angel. But what is an angel? Thanks in large part to Hollywood, many people think angels are the souls of those who were once our friends and loved ones, but that couldn't be farther from the truth. Indeed, most of us really know very little about the angels and have only a child's perception of them. You should read Father Robert Fox's book, The World and Work of the Holy Angels, to learn more, but we'll cover some of the basics here. The angels are pure spirits who possess intellect and free will. They have no body, but God has seen fit at various times throughout human history to allow them to assume a physical presence in order to deal directly with mankind, as is the case with Tobias and in Genesis 18 and 19, to name a few. The angels are more perfect than we are and more like God because they are pure spirits. They're superior to us in the order of creation because of this. Ours is the natural world, but theirs is called the preternatural world. God made all of the angels good, but some became evil and rebelled against Him when God tested them, according to 2 Peter 2.4. These rebellious angels are called devils, demons, or evil spirits. God cast them into hell for their disobedience. Because they're God's enemies, and because it is part of their nature to have the ability to bilocate, that is, be in more than one place at a time, both hell and among us, the demons desire to harm us by tempting us to sin against God. According to 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, we can always resist the demons, though, not of ourselves, but with God's help. The angels who didn't rebel were rewarded by God with the same reward He'll give us if we persevere in serving Him well. That is, He'll reward us with the eternal happiness of heaven where we'll live with the angels to see God as He truly is and love and adore Him forever. The good angels pray for us, protect us, and serve as our guardian angels. Of the nine choirs of angels, which are seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominations, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, angels, the lowest is simply called angels, and this choir serves as a sort of draft board for guardian angels. In other words, the angels in this choir are made up of all the other choirs, and they're the ones who serve as our guardian angels so your guardian angel may be a seraphim while mine is a principality. Each human is assigned a guardian angel at our conception, and your guardian angel is with you from then and forever, if you make it to heaven. You'll never lose your guardian angel unless you end up in eternal punishment in hell. There are more angels in heaven than there are humans ever created or ever to be created, which is why everyone gets his own guardian angel forever. Your guardian angel protects you from spiritual and material dangers, guides your mind to know what is right, prays for you, and presents your prayers to God. Think back throughout your life. Everyone can think of at least one time when something happened and you should have been killed or gravely injured, but something unexplainable happened that kept you from harm. You can thank your guardian angel for that, and you should. Learn to talk to your guardian angel. You might feel silly at first, but how is it different from speaking to God or the Blessed Virgin Mary? You can speak to your guardian angel like you'd talk to your best friend, and you can even call him by name. No, he probably won't reveal his name to you, but you can give him a name. The great Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, known as America's bishop in the 50s and 60s, called his guardian angel Skippy, and he spoke to Skippy all the time. Spending time with your guardian angel is important. It'd be very embarrassing for you to get to heaven and meet up with this really big guy who says, hey, do you know who I am? I know who you are. I'm your guardian angel. I've been with you from the moment you began life in your mother's womb. I loved you, protected you, sat with you through all the good and bad in your life, and you never once spoke to me. Now I'll be your servant throughout all eternity, even though I'm a perfect stranger to you. Can we talk now? The angels love silence. Begin spending time each day, preferably in the morning, to talk to your angel. Just five minutes in the beginning will be sufficient. Then sit and listen. Block all else from your mind and focus only on your angel. It'll take a couple of weeks as you learn to drive the white noise from your mind, but if you're persistent and try to focus on your guardian angel, he will begin to communicate with you. I'm not kidding. This is actually true. I've done it for years, and it's been a tremendous help to me. Like I said, you should get a copy of The World and Work of the Holy Angels by the late Robert J. Fox, and you'll find the link in my show notes.
2: Hey, Michael Voris here, CEO of Church Militant and St. Michael's Media. Please join us November 16th in Baltimore, Maryland, for the Bishop's Enough is Enough prayer rally and conference. We'll be protesting the decades of spiritual abuse and cover-up by the U.S. hierarchy, and we'll be doing all of it just a few feet away from their annual conference. We'll be joined by Milo Yiannopoulos, Father James Altman, Archbishop Vigano, Steve Bannon, and many, many more. So what are you waiting for? Join hundreds of Catholics and purchase your tickets today. Visit ChurchMilton.com to learn more. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of
1: wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Francis of Assisi. He said, Sanctify yourself and you will sanctify society. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A bleary-eyed man rubbed his head and mumbled, My head feels like a freight train is running through it. Boy, did I get drunk last night. Another person answered, Drunk? Do you get drunk? Yes, he said, and so does everyone from time to time. I suppose occasionally you do too. No, sir, replied the stranger. I don't, and among the many reasons is this one. Being sober, I never find that I have too much sense as it is, and I hate to lose what little I have. Drunkenness is a sin against the Fifth Commandment because it not only kills irreplaceable brain cells, but even deprives a person of his or her reason and makes him or her act much like an animal.
0: This has been the Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy.